0: This is one of uh, our pet peeves, is almost people hold back because they're so scared of being called out by customers or online, but we're all better off doing something than nothing, right? You're listening
1: to Ear, Brain, Heart, an experiment in showing up. I'm Mark Stedman, and I've been on a journey in 2022 to find out what good marketing looks like, in every sense of the word. Helping me get to grips with ethical marketing are Chris Thornhill and Jen Bayford from Growth Animals, a team of growth marketers dedicated to helping businesses grow their bottom line and their impact. We got into everything from social media to becoming a B Corp to the impact the internet has on the environment. But we started by
0: exploring the space around ethical marketing and growth marketing. Yeah, what we want to achieve ultimately, as growth animals, is to show that with clever marketing, you can grow both the bottom line of a business and the positive impact. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's not that trade-off. So if people are looking or considering putting more thinking, putting more ethics behind their marketing, that they're not going to suffer a drop-off in their sales or whatever it is as a core KPI.
1: Um, so I, I followed a uh, a post recently, an experiment by Anna Miltenberg, who I was um, lucky enough to, to get as an early guest on this show, who's the um, founder of Brand The Change. And she had a – they they did like a 28-day experiment removing social media from their marketing. Where does – or does even ethical marketing – like is there an intersection there with social marketing, content marketing, that kind of stuff – are there ethical questions or concerns when you think about social marketing or social media marketing?
2: There is, yeah. So our view on all marketing is that it should be helpful and informative, but not ever manipulative or intrusive in one's customer or or client's lives, right? So we take that view on everything. And every conversation we have is uh, about different channels different techniques um, with marketing it's it's a dialogue it's it's questioning um, use of things that perhaps weren't questioned in the past and making sure it fits the bill of being helpful and informative so when it comes to content marketing that actually lends itself to be helpful storytelling and um, connecting and engaging with the customer or the client in a really lovely way that isn't intrusive, but we do know also that there are things that go on behind the scenes with some of the bigger social media channels, for example, which would then make us question the use of them. And actually that was one of the motivations for us starting Growth Animals. It was around the same time as The Social Dilemma came out on Netflix and we watched it um, you know, with, with curiosity. And that has helped shape some of the conversations that we've had with clients and make them question why they are using certain channels. And Twitter is one that's very topical at the moment that um, we're having lots of conversations around. So there's, there's no hard and fast rules when it comes to ethical marketing no one yet is an expert because it will be an ongoing debate. What what we say as us as a team is that we're experts in asking the right questions and uh, coming up with compromises that fit that definition that I said at the beginning.
1: How are you finding the whole Twitter
0: thing right now? <laughs> it's quite fascinating in a way. It's like a big social experiment going on and and everything that Elon Musk does is is quite fascinating. <laughs> it's in the psychology behind it and where it's going to go. And and as Jen said before, you know, even prior to Elon getting involved, Twitter has been one of the channels where we have been most sort of vocal with our clients in encouraging them not to use it unless they really have a compelling reason to do so.
1: Yeah, there feels like and and as so as a podcaster, there is a big uh, podcast contingent within Twitter. And there is a big, um, and I think this is the case with a lot of content marketing kind of stuff. There is this sense of Twitter being as, as they call it the the town hall or whatever they call it, the village square. Um, but it feels so much sort of like a lobby and, and the, this idea that we can sort of just throw our thing up and say, here's a, here's, a, you know, I've just written a new blog post. I've just released a new podcast episode. of have that that's the sort of mechanism that things then propagate and um it's it's what people then start to realize well actually Twitter doesn't want you to do that and so because it's you know taking views away from Twitter and so what you end up then with is different ways of trying to shout the same kind of thing now we do it in threads or now we do it with audiograms and little bits of video but it's all the same kind of thing and i think there is a move or i've seen a move at least towards stuff that is maybe less native to Twitter in, in that it is, it is actually about, as we say, showing up, but about being there and creating value, answering questions, being able to provide useful advice sort of natively without trying to push people off to another platform. And I think um, as I'm looking now at a uh, – because I, I've been slowly sort of moving myself away from Twitter as I've been kind of peeking around the front door of Mastodon there is a, a sense there that it can absolutely be a marketing channel but not a push based one it's very much one of be, it being of value within a community rather than pushing out your latest updates
0: yeah and and actually the the sort of two the two occurrences where we support or at least sort of get on board with people and clients who want to use twitter is is where they are more of a sort of new service and so twitter has that really useful nature of being like a a bulletin channel almost um and the other bit is is more of a customer service piece whereby they can then respond to any queries or concerns customers have and so again it's like you say it's finding the way for that channel to be helpful and informative um and if they're if those things aren't relevant to you or a client then step away find the ones that are the right ones
1: So, Jen, can you give us a sense of how Growth Animals began?
2: This is my favourite story to tell, so I'm going to tell it. So, Chris and I, um, we've been running Growth Animals for two years, but that's not where our journey together started. So, we actually worked together in-house within an organisation in West Sussex. It was Goodwood, the Goodwood Estate, um, and Chris worked there for a little bit longer than I did, but we were kind of there for five, six years each. Chris was head of marketing there and I was in his team looking after the marketing for some of the motorsport events. Um, and of course, wasn't really needed when the pandemic hit because um, there weren't any events to put on. <laughs> so Chris furloughed me Chris, um, and he stayed on. And Chris thought, obviously, I was living my best life a bit too much at home because I lived <laughs> by the beach. And I had a fantastic time. And then um, Chris asked me if I would do some consulting for him, well, for the charity that he is on the board of trustees for, which is um, Dementia Support, which is also down in West Sussex. And we did, we had to realign their marketing strategy um, based on the pandemic. Um, And we did that and really, really enjoyed it. It was really rewarding. Um, And then... Chris and I had our our aha moment at that point and said, you know, if we did get made redundant from Goodwood, um, this would be our plan B. But actually, over that summer, I did kind of practice our consultancy services on a few willing businesses um, to make sure that we had something viable to go to market with if we did take um, voluntary redundancy. And plan B, became plan A because we thoroughly enjoyed it. We are really, really good at marketing strategy. That's our specialism. Um, and we started to think of the ways we could use that to do good. Um, and that's, that's when those ethical conversations started to come in. So we took voluntary redundancy, um, with one other, actually there were three of us to begin with, and then we started growth animals in September, 2020.
1: How has a startup in the pandemic felt like your your own business pandemic baby? How was that? You know, with so much uncertainty. Um, I mean, there's
0: there's uncertainty at any time, really. But um, yeah, what was what was that like? <laughs> I can give you a really good analogy, actually, Mark, because uh, I recently had a pair of twins, and it's like having twins in that it is equally the most wonderful exhilarating experience of your life, combined with being the most stressful, anxiety-inducing thing you could ever imagine. I can only imagine. And it feels like the kind of
1: thing where... And I think the the analogy maybe does stretch to this. Is like you can read up and you can you can research and you can do all the things, but nothing is going to prepare you for being faced with you know yeah <laughs> the the responsibility of of two more human lives. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but we actually embrace the um the challenges, right? Because you're right. You can't. You can read books about running an agency or running a business, but it doesn't sink in until you've. Come across that challenge or made that mistake yourself. So we've learned hugely over the last two years um, about various aspects of our business, but particularly like who we want to work with. that's that's a really big one, is that you know we had to kiss a few frogs in the beginning, but now we're in a really fortunate position that we know the types of businesses that are aligned with our values and that are like minded. And we can we've got pretty good um, at spotting those red flags early doors touch wood um, to actually decline working with certain types of organisation or or certain characters, let's say.
1: Can you run through those? I'm really interested in the character because I, I think I I have those kind of spidey sense moments, but I'd love to know like what gets your spidey senses tingling. That's like, oh, I'm not sure about this one.
2: Well, I think that. A lot of it comes down to how genuine um, a business's purpose or impact or good that they want to do is because often we use that as, a, as one of our first conversations because um, we want to work with businesses who are balancing their profit and their purpose or their good or their impact. So if we ask someone what they do, there is a lot of greenwashing going on out there and you know what we can now spot whether it is ingrained in their organisation or whether it's something that they want to put on their credentials page or on their website and just tick a box i think that's that's really crucial conversation to have early on um for us
1: yeah i just i just got a, a, a i have a new guitar coming and um it's uh it's 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 got a wood top as opposed to laminate which is like the what the the um the cheap guitars are made of and it just it just made me think there about you know are your um, are your values sort of are they laminate you know are they just laminate or are they, is it is it's wood all the way through you know is it is it is actually you know part of the grain of your business or is it just something you've sort of lacquered on at the end another good analogy <laughs> <laughs> i'm all about analogies um so what What different aspects uh, or what characteristics do both of you sort of bring to the table? You know, are there complementary skills or attitudes that you both bring?
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, obviously, that's been a really important part of us doing this as a partnership. Um, And actually, from day one, we've always been really keen to look at where each of us individually have strengths, um, but also the wider team as we've started to, to grow that. And, um, I don't know if you are aware or not, but, you know, the animals in gross animals stems from, uh, a, a quiz that we've all been very uh, proud of and, and shared with teammates and, and clients and so forth through the years. And ultimately it's just a very short two minute quiz that is based on the famous Myers Briggs psychometric test. And so it spits out an animal and that animal talks about your personality and, and. And it really helps to sort of uh, almost simplify it, but in a really very sort of accurate way. Uh, So like, for example, I'm a falcon, which means that I'm very decisive, um, very sort of fast moving in my thought process, uh, quite creative as well, but also means that I have a terribly short attention
2: span. And attention to detail.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Exactly, attention to detail. Whereas Jen is a dolphin, so she's really sort of caring, is all about the sort of group environment bit of a social hand grenade you know all these sorts of things and the 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 pairing of those uh strengths makes us a much stronger outfit in in its sort of total part
1: i think i think i've I've looked through your your team page and seen uh, seen lots of the the different animals so now i have a sense of where that springs from
2: yes yeah Um, and how we divide up kind of our projects mark is that um chris really bangs the ethical marketing drum and I really focus on brilliant quality marketing strategy. So whilst we obviously both do both, we divide up those kind of things to champion. So um, Chris has recently written, for example, a a, a Progressive progressive Leaders Guide to Ethical Marketing, which took a lot of time, lots of interviewing of different um, business owners, and the compilation of that. So that's been a real focus for him and has been doing quite a lot of speaking around ethical marketing as well at various different conferences and through podcasts and things. Um, And then I've been focusing on our client work and making sure we do some really, really good quality marketing strategy.
1: During the process of putting that together... Were there any sort of things that you, any kind of learnings that you took away from that that you thought, oh, wow, like it's, it's useful having done this process now? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact,
0: one, one particular area we've even taken forward to become a new uh, sort of service offering for growth animals. So prior to doing all of this research, um, we weren't particularly uh, sort of knowledgeable about the impact that the Internet has on the environment. So one of the sort of favorite stats of ours now is that if the internet were a country, it would be the seventh largest polluter in the world and growing faster than pretty much every other nation on the planet. And so, um, yeah, we spoke to uh, um, a leader of an agency that specialized in this area, and we did a bit of additional digging and research, talked to some of our development partners. And so we've now taken it forward because actually... It's a brilliant area for a business like ours, obviously, who wants to make a positive impact, but also for all those many, many businesses out there who are genuinely trying to make improvements in their sustainability, um, but haven't perhaps thought about the fact that they have a website that is actually quite carbon unfriendly. Um, And there's many things that can be done to improve it. And the most important thing is that actually it the the crux of how you make a website more clean is to make it faster uh, and when you make it faster it's then better for user experience so it's kind of win-win-win in that sense
1: and i imagine as a as a recovering um technologist that there's significant knock-on effects to uh, the various bits of scripts that run on web pages that are either tracking or running ads or well it's mostly those two things really uh, or, or mining bitcoin in your in, in your browser tab that have this cumulative effect then because there's been a there's been a move see now 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 this is it's quite interesting so I might have to rein myself back in but there's been such a move from let's push all of the the weight from the server end over to the clients because people's computers are so much more powerful now they can take the load so we can we can make the the server have to do less work and then the individual computers can do more work of actually rendering the page of making the actual display of the page look, look nice but of course that then is pushing all of that energy consumption over to over to these individual clients and you you start to have a popular website
0: uh, then, then that actually has a huge knock on effect yeah absolutely right. It's a bit of a snowball. the more you sort of look into it, the more you unravel
1: hmm. okay all right've i 've got some things to think about there i 've got some homework to do um, actually, one of the things i was speaking to uh, previous guest Sarah Osterholzer about this about wanting to find sort of cleaner suppliers for things like um, web 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 stuff. I mean um, you know I, I want to try and find a a, a clean um, host for, for all of my web you know, projects. Uh, because yeah, that is something that I'm, I'm becoming increasingly interested in. One of the drums that I've been banging recently is, um, is trying to help people understand the devastating effect that the likes of Bitcoin does have on the environment. What are the kinds of projects at the moment, the kind of kind of pieces of work that are really exciting you?
2: So one of our clients is um, Total Karting Zero, which is an electric karting series, which ha- was established by Rob Smedley, who is an F1 engineer, who really wanted to um, improve the inclusivity um, of grassroots motorsport. So this has got us written all over it, because obviously we worked at Goodwood on the motorsport events. So um, we were very familiar with this industry. Um, plus, it has huge ethical credentials um, alongside the project. So not only is it cleaner because it's electric karting, it's also fairer because all of the carts are the same. You can't buy your way to a better cart than your competitor, so it's skill-based. Um, it's more cost-effective than petrol karting. Um, so we are we're all over it, and we absolutely love working with them. It's a hugely exciting project. We've been working with them now for um, the last six months, and we're now working on their twenty twenty three marketing strategy. So that's a very exciting one.
1: So Growth Animals is in the process of um, becoming a B Corp.
0: How is that process going? It's slow. <laughs> <laughs> we we are lucky in one sense in, in that when we applied it was very early days in our life so um being uh such a new business you you can take on a b Corp pending status and we have that we still have that now um but otherwise you know it was way back in now april may of this year that we submitted our full um application and we're still in a queue just waiting for for B Corp to find enough resources to come and start auditing us on it. Um, and we're fully aware that once that bit happens, it's going to be a lot of work as well. Cause I think, um, you know, there's in a positive way, there's a lot of backwards and forth, backwards and forwards at that stage.
1: When you're talking to clients, are you encouraging them, um, to look into, uh, obviously we talked about B Corp, but there's also things like pledge 100, um, or sorry, um, I pledge one percent um are those conversations that you have with people about ways that they can do things or is that not really part of the the sort of marketing discussion
2: well it, yeah it, it is and it can be providing it isn't ticking boxes so actually we would we would rather we would rather than focus on what they're truly doing before trying to get any Accreditation or plant a load of trees because that's when it starts to feel disingenuous. Um, because you know, if if you look at the our portfolio of clients over the last kind of two years, we've had um, a biodiversity project that we've been working on. We we've had a um, couple of NHS suppliers who are hell bent on on serving the the end patient um, and and improving their um, care and their their pathway um Chris you worked on the um the employment project as well didn't you the
0: yeah the executive search firm that sort of specializes in placing more diverse uh, candidates than than others and and obviously works with a lot of uh research and education sectors
1: so actually the 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 important distinction for for me then feels it's it's helping already ethical companies with their marketing rather than helping companies who want to be seen as ethical.
0: <laughs> yes, although the only uh, difference to that I would say is that, th- is that there are some companies who perhaps haven't thought a great deal about the need to be ethical because you know, it might be that there's just a, a, a base level of ethics that is there anyway, as is probably the truth with most people. Um and so with those it's more than helping to explore better ways of doing things Um and that will come about usually either up front when we have the strategic conversation where we explore what their purpose is and what are the powerful messages that can come out from that or it can come much later down the line when we're having more regular sort of tactical discussions about the campaigns that they're doing at that certain time Uh and it might be that it it crops up like, for example, you know, Black Friday's on the horizon and we had a a client we were chatting to just in our general catch ups and sort of it felt right at that moment to have a conversation about, right, how do you feel about Black Friday? Do you feel comfortable doing it? And is this the right thing for you, your brand, your customers? So, yeah, it's kind of both those right up front in the strategic discussion, but also ongoing with that tactical outlook.
2: So we often get asked, like, okay, so you've explained what ethical marketing is to us, but to further illustrate it, could you tell us what isn't ethical? Um, and this is quite an interesting one to have with clients because sometimes they don't think that they're being unethical. And we've been guilty of that in in our careers, in fact. You know, when we worked in previous Jobs we've got in, you know, in house within organizations, we've been given, you know, some chunky sales targets to reach and deadlines by which to reach them. And we've been, we know the power of scarcity, for example. So there was an element of there being a uh, pressure to say that the tickets or products or whatever it might have been were in demand um more than perhaps they were in order to create those artificial spikes and actually i get i get the pressure to do it i do because there are um sales targets there's cash that needs to be brought into the business but equally it starts to erode trust with a with a customer because they think oh hold on you said that last year or last week or or whenever it was so It's kind of having those conversations with clients that sense check things that you think are clever and they're not, actually.
0: Do you think um, DFS will ever become a growth animals client? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Do you know what? You're the second person in about a week who brought up DFS. And, And I don't know if you noticed it, but I think they've had a change of heart recently. So... Uh, On TV at the moment, they've got a really lovely advert that's all like you know brand style and just really beautifully curated. And I wonder whether it is part of a change of heart now because they've had so much feedback around how disgusting their previous approach was.
2: We've we've actually been having a chat now with one of um, the owners of one of the agency networks that we're part of, who highlighted on LinkedIn this week three different examples of um, disingenuous PR. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, they worked in terms of getting column inches and um, attention, but they you didn't need to scratch much beneath the surface to realize that they were PR stunts. So um, the first example was Deliveroo, who did a campaign around Collectoroo, Which was aimed at collecting food to give to food banks and supporting a particular charity. And they'd even got like Nicola Adams to head it up as the face of. So it was a pretty high profile, high budget campaign. But apparently, if you scratch beneath the surface, there is no such service apart from like in one city, there's one van. It's really not making the impact that this PR campaign would suggest
0: when another yeah Brewdog this last week has been a brilliant one they going going all guns blazing with there we are the anti-sponsor of the Qatar World Cup and then you can book tables to watch the World Cup games in all of their pubs throughout the country
1: oh oh come on bro dog <laughs> yeah. I mean I saw I saw that and I thought okay I don't for a while, I haven't trusted that they're not the hippest uh, in terms of um, of ethics, um, but more in, in terms of like how they treat their staff. Um, but that's, um, oh, that's disappointing. I could talk about that kind of stuff uh, for days, actually. But is there, are there, and I, I guess I'm thinking really here for for smaller, smaller companies um, or individuals. Are there lines, do you think, that we have to sort of be wary of? You know, if I think about Scarcity, so that that is, you know, I'll sort of come clean. That is something that I've introduced on my website, but I am being honest about. I'm trying to use my actual capacity. You know, if I've got bookable services uh, and I can only really sustain so many of those um, per month, I want to flag that up. But I am also using that as a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a nudge, and I think. There you know there, where where do you think the line is and, and and is it really is it for for us to draw
0: is it really for the consumer to draw i mean our our feeling is that everyone has an internal sort of compass where they know sort of instinctively where that line is, so your example is a really good one because you know if, if you genuinely do have scarcity in a, a number of the products or services you sell yeah that's fine that's that's actually it is helpful to let people know that because they want to make that purchase and they might have been holding off uh equally discounting you know black friday we touched upon before uh but discounting in general isn't all bad because again you know sometimes you need to clear old stock uh you need to clear seasonal stock so in all of those cases i think we all know because we have that sort of internal thing where if we're going over the line there's that ick factor you you just feel a bit wrong inside if you are uh, a
1: new a new business or if you're starting a new venture and you want to get off on the right foot with your marketing are there some things to bear in mind are there some starting points to consider are there kind of guidelines or something like that that you would recommend um, if people maybe don't feel like they can always trust their gut?
2: So um, actually, it's far easier to market ethically when you're building a business from scratch, is our experience, because, one, you haven't got lots and lots and lots of stakeholders with all of their influences and their own agendas, um and you can drive your own agenda. Um, but also you've not got the legacy of of years of uh, a way of doing things or years of those sales targets to be meeting. So you can you've got a blank sheet of paper because recently we went to a um, a, a, a a seminar um, that we were presenting at called the the Good Agency Summit. And we went to one of the breakout sessions around um, ethical marketing, and we were calling it purpose, but then realized it needed to be a, a better word than that. Impact, good, whatever that word might be. Um, and it was about defining one's purpose. And some of the people in the room, you know, they were in really, really established businesses. and But they, as people, were very ethical, values-led people and they were like banging their head against the wall saying it's so hard to get a new uh, an established business all those different stakeholders with all of this legacy of politics and ways of doing things to actually change and it's a culture thing so it's really hard to change culture particularly qu- quickly but when you're starting out like conversely um, actually, what a joy like what an opportunity to be able to start with that blank piece of paper
0: yeah and and, uh, and link to that one of the chapters of the guide that we produced we interviewed uh, the managing director of this big estate up in Scotland an escape, estate that's been around for uh, generations of of dukes you know sort of uh, owning the land and big big chunk of land across across Scotland. And I had a good chat with him about how it really helps when you're a legacy business, let's say, to sort of look into the history books and understand what are the motivations that started the place, what are the motivations that drove drove it to where it is today, because that can then really guide the purpose, the communications, and make it feel so much more authentic than your average sort of legacy business that goes, oh, do you know what? Yeah, we really need a purpose and we need to be acting uh, sustainable um, because it's it's really good for our commercial agenda. So let's tick that box and, and make some stories up now. Um, and wh- and while it's tricky, because you know, he, he was very frank around the fact that they don't want to go too hard or fast in en- any area because he's aware that the communities that have lived around that state for for many generations would see in immediately any sort of change of direction as being inauthentic so they have to do everything at a much slower pace yeah that that's interesting i don't
1: i don't actually have anything to add on that but that's just interesting i think the british attitude to authenticity i think is interesting and i think it it differs in in other places i think it's a conversation i remember having years ago with a, a friend of mine who did um did some work in the States with like, one of these Camp America things. And, and he, he said, you know, that one of the big differences is in America, if you get up one morning and say, I'm a goth now, everyone sort of goes, okay, right, that's, all right. you know, Alice, she's a goth now. Whereas we want to go, right, what's your credentials? Uh, what music do you listen to? Have you got the correct hair dye? What are the clothes that you will buy? You know, we, we have all of these. We, we, we seem to seek that proof uh, you know that, and, and I think I think that is interesting so when you are at that sort of older stage or even uh maybe you're a company on, on the the cusp of uh of, of growth but you've got this th- this legacy behind you or or this way of doing things to be able to then sort of and that's something I struggle with as well is like my own personal sort of authenticity and and, and not sounding like I'm I think, you know, purpose washing, you know, which is partly why I'm interested in these kinds of conversations anyway, just purely selfishly to to help my help my own business. Um, but yeah, I, I the
0: authenticity thing, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think it transcends a lot of things to do with marketing. You yeah. know, the, it's almost like the the older the business, the slower you do need to change. You know, you can even see it in things like visual identity. You know, famous cases like when Tropicana changed its packaging too dramatically and then everyone just stopped buying it. You know, things like that.
2: <laughs> I didn't know about that. Actually, this this goes on to a point we make to all of our clients, other agencies we speak to. Um, and one of the main points when whenever Chris does a speech or a talk around ethical marketing is that don't wait until you're squeaky clean to be able to start thinking about ethical marketing because we have had clients who have said, I'm, I'm scared to do this because it can open us up to scrutiny, You know, not not the extreme of green hushing, but the other extreme of, of green washing. There's this murky bit in the middle where people are like, oh, if we start doing something, are we going to then need to like completely re everything in our business? And we really want to discourage people from that nervousness because our view is that it's about doing your best. It's a conversation. It's questioning. And there are going to be times when you can't go the squeaky clean route and the example is Chris's carbon co- conscious websites that he mentioned earlier because there's a scale of completely carbon conscious which is you know ultimately a few words on one page um from a really really dirty website which is lots of images lots of videos you know all of those things the, the server being a non ethical one you know all of those things there's going to be a need to be somewhere on the scale because if it was truly truly 100% carbon conscious it may not include all the information you need on it and then your business isn't going to actually succeed through that platform so um we use the analogy of recycling like you know you might have 10 toilet rolls that you plan to recycle but if you do as many of them as you can then that's better than just not wanting to recycle any of them in case you miss a few.
1: I'm in the middle of reading James Clear's Atomic Habits at the moment and that's actually a big thing. It's like it's so much better to to just do to to do a little bit every day, you know, if if you're committing to to getting out and running, you know, half an hour every day, it's so much better if you you just think about getting up and getting your shoes on and even if you go and do 10 minutes that's 10 minutes more than you would have done if you'd have just laid in bed yeah you know because you didn't feel like it so yeah absolutely
2: my homework though mark is to think of a better example than the loo roll rolls for this (laughs) because yeah it needs to be a bit bit of a bigger decision yeah
1: well this has been this has been a, a great pleasure. Where can um people keep up with your work and, and connect with you and perhaps find out what kind of animal they are?
0: The best thing to do is firstly go to the Gross Animals website because then you can find out all about us. So that's uh, grossanimals.com. And on our about page, uh sort of halfway down is the link to our animal quiz if you want to find out what animal you are. So that's uh, that's worth having a look at. And if you want to find me or Jen personally, then you can find us on LinkedIn.
2: Thank you so much for having us. And um, I think we need to keep sharing all of the examples of unethical marketing um, between us so that we can look at them as case studies of what not to do.
1: Yes, I smell a newsletter. (laughs) Name and shame. (laughs) (laughs) Marvellous. Thank you very much both. This has been a, a real pleasure. Thanks a lot, Mark.
2: Thank you. Appreciate
1: it. Huge thanks to Jen and Chris. You can check them out at growthanimals.com and links to everything we talked about are on your screen now or at earbrainheart.com. If you enjoyed this chat, then please share it with someone who needs to hear it. Just point them to earbrainheart.com or show them how to follow the podcast on their phone. Take care of yourself and I'll be back again with you very soon.